0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Owen, for that wonderful introduction. It's really too long. But uh, I really uh, want to say, if you see me, just call me David. Actually, in China, the the, the lesser the titles, the better, uh, because the government's watching. Uh, How did this church come to support us? In fact, uh, most of you don't know who I am But in 2006, I came to a wedding here, and it was uh, between Hank and Gene Hom. I don't know if you know them or not, but they were the pastors, English pastors at the time. Hank and I went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell. He's way back there, and and so that was about 30 years ago. And so we're like seminary buddies, and we just uh, got together with some of our friends last night. But that's been 30 years, and Hank was the one who brought me to this church, and we've been supported by this church since 2007. So just to give you a brief his- history, one thing about Hank, um, do I call you Pastor Hank or Hank? Anyways, Hank, um, he makes you feel like he's everyone's best friend. He's my best friend, just to let you know. But... Um, yeah, we had 30 years together. So, but the thing is, I always find out he's got other best friends. So that that's who he is. He's got a great personality and and so on. But thank you, Hank, for introducing to our church. I want to show you a picture of our family quickly. When we first joined uh, to go to the mission field it was 2001. This was after seminary at Gordon Conwell. I pastored a church in Boston, and the church sent us to China. We joined OMF, and at the time, my son Jeremy was two years old, and my daughter, Mika, was 11 months. And I want to start off here by saying that as missionaries go out to the mission field, um, <clears throat> the thing about the biggest step of faith, for, at least for me, and not, not for Jackie, but for me was our two little babies. And We just saw a baptism this morning in the first service, but think of your kids at that age going to an unknown, we were going to Kunming, a place we'd never been before in southwest China. It would be one thing for us to give up our own lives. The biggest step of faith for me was what if something happened to my two babies? That is the question that I had to wrestle with and the Lord Eventually, gave me uh, the the faith to take those steps forward, and we moved forward. And we, we thank the Lord that He has preserved our our family. Well, next slide, I'll show you um, quickly. Is uh, we just uh, this is three months ago in New York. We came back to a home assignment in New York with Jackie's parents. Jackie's parents are elderly Korean Americans in Flushing. Uh, this is College Point. But um, three months ago, our family was again commissioned back to the mission field in Asia. And it was heartbreaking for grandparents to leave their grandkids, to leave their daughter, to join me to go to the mission field, to leave their cousins and so on. And so if you see missionaries going out to the mission field, just remember there is a cost involved um, it, it is hard, it is a it is a releasing uh, workers to the field, but we sense God's calling us there. And so he is uh, moving us forward. And then Jackie's parents, of course, prayed and blessed us. The beginning, they, they were not really for it, but now they are. So praise God that they have uh, supported us throughout this time. Next slide. We arrived into Bangkok, three months ago. Um, and so this is now the, the new location that we're being assigned to, and uh, we're learning Thai and at the age of 57. I'm kind of a new missionary, trying to figure out things with food and, and the transportation and all the different kinds of things in Bangkok, very, very different from what we're used to, even in China and in Taiwan. Next slide. Well, why Bangkok? Why, why Thailand? Well, a few months back, this is probably in, in, in December of last year, uh, I started to plan for this co- conference, of student mission conference called AriseAsia.org, and, and I, I started to sense there's a growing momentum for students and young people to give their lives to missions, to go to where there's no gospel. And I started to share this vision, and and this, as I shared this vision, there's this one house church pastor from China that I had been working with for many years, because you know we served in China and Beijing, and this pastor had planted a church uh, in Beijing. We actually planted a church together as well, and the church grew really quickly 2007, and then it started to multiply. and then in 2018, the government came in and said, "Enough is enough." The church grew to about 1800, uh, three service, uh, actually five services, a house church. Church in Beijing, and the government started to crack down and, and actually dismantled the whole church. The church scattered, and the pastor started to uh, flee and go from city to city, traveling from city to city, and every city he would come to, he would plant a church, and he planted a church every He would tell me sometimes it would be two churches a week while he's, while he's planting churches in Beijing, sorry, in China, all across cities in China. And then I I called him and said, we have this vision to raise up young people to go to the mission field. He said, Dave, I want to support this. So our church, we're going to donate 50,000 U.S. to get this started. See, here's a church that's being chased by the government, planting churches in China, yet having a heart to send young people where there's no gospel and I knew once this 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 gift came from the persecuted church, I knew that this was from God, and so I, I, I had the faith just to move forward and to start uh, bringing others involved and and, and, and soon enough this b- became a snowball of momentum and i'm going to show you a video of that we had about eighteen hundred over eighteen hundred young people at this conference from thirty seven countries we had to have fourteen Uh, languages translated, but um, yes, go ahead and and show that video of, of Arise H. Over 1,700 participants, ages 18 to 30, from across Asia and the Middle East are arriving right now at this hall. Many of them have never left their countries before, so the energy was palpable and everybody was so gracious and kind. And our hope and prayer is that as we come together, we see what is God's purpose in our generation. That God is passionate about His name. Knowing God's passion is of the utmost importance. Trying to discover our passion and use it to serve God. Participating in God's story is the greatest purpose one can have in life. I think worshipping together with the nations has been pretty amazing so far. just sense such a deep hunger and I feel like everyone here desires to be impacted for the Gospel. We do a mission so that the nations would worship the nations in this room and just being touched by God, being refreshed by God and also receiving their assignment from God because I really feel like it's in worship where you hear the Holy Spirit, right? And we are believing by faith that everything that we've learned and the things that we've experienced, all the great speakers, the innovation lab and the different workshops, that we're going to take all that and be able to go out and as our hearts are set on fire that we can make a difference for Jesus Christ. It may be the unreached in your city, your country, or the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, God is sending you. He's sending you to his mission around the world. Will you you say yes to God's invitation? It's so worth it. The risk taking is not about physical discomfort. It's about surrender. God was meeting a generation that has been characterized by desperation, by loneliness. This generation has been counted off by so many. If God says, I am gonna use that generation to shake the world, as you can see, there seems to be God doing something in this younger generation, this Gen Z generation, especially starting from Asia. And if you take a look at church history, God often chooses a certain region at a certain time with a certain generation, and then he catalyzes them to influence the world. And I believe this past two months ago is really like a turning point in Asian church history. Before, it used to be the Westerners coming to Asia with missionaries coming to bring gospel to Asia. But now the Asian church is now rising, and their young people are now leading the way to become the future missionaries. Amen? I mean, that is a huge shift in global Christianity. And it's not, I have to be honest, it's not coming from North America. It's really coming from Asia, Korea, China, and some of these other countries. Um, I I do want to share with you, it does relate to our church here, your church CCPC, because you guys have been supporting us all these years, and and, and it's it's kind of like with Apostle Paul and the Philippian church, and he's saying that you are the partners for his ministry, just like you guys have been supporting all these years. This is the legacy of all those funds and prayers that you've had for for the ministry, but it's culminating toward a mission movement that will impact the world, Um, Quickly, on Wednesday, I'm going to be talking to David Platt um, down the road, and and we invited him to be a speaker here, but I'm going to invite him to be a speaker for Arise Latin America, and now it's not just going to be in Asia, it's young people, Gen Z now, they're going to, all across Latin America and Asia are going to Arise. And then they're going to influence the world. Africa will probably follow, Europe and North America. But you can just imagine, there's a new generation of these young people excited for God and ready to go. Let me just tell you the results. Of course, we had 1,800 people, 14 languages, 37 countries. But more importantly is the, the pledge. We had 400 pledges to one- to two-year mission internship. We really highlighted that. Why? It's because um, I, we learned, I learned that... It's one thing to say, I'm going to go, but really we wanted young people to say, at least give one to two years of your life to some kind of mission field. And whether you go back to your home, and, and but see this like a gap year, so that you would open your eyes to see what God's doing in the world. And of course, God calls you long-term, you can stay, but um, if God does not call you to long-term missions, you can at least know what the world is out. And if you notice, the Mormon church, they, they have every young person go for two years' missions, and that's how they keep their young people in the faith, and that's how they keep... The Mormons are really great in business and in politics because their young people are already two years more mature than everyone else. And so I, we just sense with young people, if you have a person right out of college, send them to a one- to two-year mission internship. Get them exposed to the world. Uh, but the, the the number that I really want you to look at is uh, t- t- 230 plus. 230 plus is when we got 230 long-term commitments uh, to mission. Uh, and these are people who are, are giving their lives like us. We gave our lives to mission at a young age. And so pray for this movement. We just sense uh, God's hand in it. And why do I want to share with you this morning um going to go to the next slide the the, the 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 core essence of this arise movement comes from these five core values that that resonated with this younger generation and when we were preparing for this, I, I kept People were telling me, "Well, just remember Gen Z and millennials are just really—they don't like to be challenged too much. Uh, just don't give them the hard message. Give them like a, um, a softer—you know—kind of ease them in the journey. Kind of, and then maybe you can hit them hard in the end. Um, just be careful. Like, treat them like you know—they're just really need, needing a lot of nurturing, or whatever, and they need a lot of mentoring. Well." There's some truth to that, but I'm going to say this. I found that the young people in our churches really have been under-challenged, not over-challenged. When I preach the harder message, I see young people come up to me afterwards saying, I haven't heard this before. And let me just give you some of the differences. Now, yes, we had great worship. We had a team from Singapore. We had a team from... Thailand, who were just really young, and people were, you know, dancing up and down and worshiping God. That was great. Had a real revival night. We invited Tim Tennant from Asbury Seminary to talk about the Asbury revival. We had a night of revival. People were on the ground in repentance. I'm going to say this, though. Revival without missions is not true revival. I'm going to state it right there. We had great... Um, uh, we had an innovation lab where people, where young people were contributing. You know, people don't want young. They say young people don't just want to receive something; they want to be part of the solution. So we we gave them some 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 things to work on. We had mentors for them, so it, it was really. And then of course they, they like you know K-pop, so we got a K-pop band come and and, and they it, it was a they're a K-pop for Jesus missionary ban in Thailand, you know, so it was for them to say, oh, people that we, we respect, and yet they're missionaries, so it was kind of like, great, you know, wow, this is really thing, but that was not the main reason why. Those are just, you can say, icing on the cake. It was not the main thing. What they really resonated was the message the harsher message, which they felt like they had not heard from their own churches. Number one is they caught the heart of God for the nations. They aligned. They said, we, we made it very clear, go where there is no gospel. And we knew that a lot of them you know, go to churches where they're just reaching their own people, which we, we strongly recommend churches to focus on that. The Apostle Peter was the apostle to the Jews. He needed to stay in Jerusalem while the church was being attacked. But the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. We needed to be, get people to go where there's no gospel. And so we caught, they caught that God's heart is for the nations, not just for their own country. Number two. Yes, we were going to use their passion and their giftings, and we wanted them to discover what God was going to call them to do through their own giftings and passions, but no. First, they must surrender their lives to God's purposes first. The, the, the problem we have in our churches is that we just focus on, well, what has God called you to do? Or wh- wh- what are you passionate about? And then we can just use those passions, and God can just bless those passions. No, this is the opposite. Yes, he will use you, but first, the, the message came from that Brazilian missionary. She's like, she said it's this word, "hinini" in the Old Testament called surrender. It's saying yes to God before the question is even asked. And then he can use your gifting. So it was kind of like, they never heard that. It's like, oh, I thought it was just all about me first. And then God can use me. Thirdly, we really focused on intimacy with God. You know, I talked about Tim Tennant coming. We had a true revival. And I mentioned a true revival with God. It includes repentance. It includes understanding God's heart for you. But then in the end, it's also meaning that what are you going to do about it? Because if God's heart is for the nations, it's not just restoring your relationship with God. It's using you to restore others to God. So any of you have been to a revival meeting and there's no heart for the lost, just going to say it's probably a weak revival at best. Number four. Sacrificial lifestyle. This was actually the most powerful of all the speakers. I actually chose speakers that had a story. Uh, we had one speaker from Thailand who was under she was a sex slave for 20 plus years, came out of that industry, could have hated her Muslim sex slave owner, forgave him, and then now her ministry is reaching. Um, the people who are trafficked by sex slaves Tom Lin I mentioned you saw him preacher he's the president of Inner Varsity he shared his story you see his parents were Taiwanese just like you his parents went to church uh, actually were in the pretty high position at church I, from what I hear they they were they really loved the lord but they really wanted their kid to succeed in this world. And sometimes we kind of get those two things mixed up. We think the success of going to a good school is also related to, um, to spiritual uh, things as well. And there's some truth to that, and I'll explain later, but his parents really wanted him to succeed, so they sent him and they prepared him, and he got into Harvard. And he started to... Um, work with Harvard InterVarsity students, and I remember meeting him in in Boston because we were, I was pastoring the college ministry of our church at that time, and he was in charge of the Harvard Student um, Fellowship, the Asian American Fellowship at Harvard University. But one day, God called him and his wife to Mongolia. It's one thing to even serve God in Harvard University, but to go as a missionary to Mongolia, their parents just could not accept that. They were so upset. They tried to, you know, tried to coax him, tried to convince them, and got so angry that they broke relationships with him for seven years. They didn't talk to him at all. You're no longer a son. Now those who are got children, let's just imagine your kids one day, they graduate from I see that U pen there, I see I mean, just a good school, and after all that investment, they get into an Ivy League, they come back home, say, "Mom, Dad, I want to go to North Korea." But God could still use you here." There's so many Koreans here. That's what Jackie's parents were telling me. There's youth ministry in New York. Why go all the way to China? God's heart, of course, is for New York. Of course, is for um, this area, for Korean-Americans. But God's heart is for the Mongolians. And he and Nancy Lin, Nancy's Korean American, went to Mongolia with their children. They would come actually to vacation to Beijing and stay at our home. Because Beijing was like, you know, heaven for them compared to Mongolia. I mean, in Mongolia, there was like, I mean, no vegetables in the the winter. And it was just like cold land. I mean, it's just like, so it was really rough for them. But they followed God. And their parents didn't speak to them for seven years. It was only at his mom's deathbed in the hospital when he was able to talk to her again. And she said at her deathbed, Tom, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? His message to those young people were saying that if God calls you, to go where there's no gospel, it's gonna be a cost for you and it could cost your relationship with your parents. Finally, empowered to boldly go. It will mean that we will need to send our young people to take risks, to boldly go. And there would be a cost It means leaving your family. It means leaving your friends. It means not having a home. We've moved 18 times in the last 23 years. We don't have a home here in the U.S. Our home now is, you know, in the suburbs of Bangkok. But God has still watched over us. We just follow him because he's given us a heart for the nations, but it also could mean losing your life. And that's not even the hardest. The hardest thing for me is losing your children's life. Would you still be able to trust in God and boldly go? We arrived in the Beijing 2003, Pastor Owen says, I've got more time so I can share more stories compared to the first service. So you get a little more of of a treat here. We arrived after two years, a year and a half in Kunming where we were studying Chinese. We arrived into Beijing 2003. January 2003, we settled in, got our kids into like a daycare school. We started to just think, "Well, Lord, what's next? And then all of a sudden, we hear this Disease, contagious disease coming from the South. We look, we try to Google, nothing, there's no, nothing, no one's talking about it uh, online. It's so, it's, it's only word of mouth. And in China, word of mouth means it's probably very true that this, this, this disease is very deadly and could kill, and it's, it's killing a lot of people. And we were hearing. The whole, whole city being quarantined uh, the people were going crazy. All the campuses were being closed down, and the, and the students couldn't leave the campus. There were riots on the student campuses and and we were just getting a little nervous the the um, the, the grocery markets, all the stable goods were being sold out, all the rice was gone. it was just coca-cola left and, and and instant noodles and and so we're just thinking maybe I was thinking and remember I had two babies at the time, so at Just imagine, you're a father with two babies, and uh, at the time, what would you do? I would do what what most fathers would say. Um, I would say, "This is a time to pack up, go back home to Boston, and share about how to mobilize others for missions." Right? This is a great opportunity because we just arrived. There's no ministry, hardly. I mean, we we got to know some house church. Folks, they came to our home, and and, and we were kind of giving McDonald's uh, to our house church friends, uh, in, in, and so we, across the, uh, the, the, the university gates where they're quarantined, but I was thinking, maybe we should just go home. Unfortunately, I was married to a Korean American from Queens, New York. If you, and, and she grew up during a time when there's like gangsters, and she would take a the seven train into uh, Brooklyn Tech. And, and, and so she's not afraid of anything. I mean, just like, uh, so she's like, um, she's got this spirit of martyrdom. She, she, she wants to die in China. She wants us, after we finish our time in Thailand, which I don't agree yet, she wants to move to the Middle East. She wants to be martyred in the Middle East. So that's, that's how she is, right? So she's like, Dave, maybe God's calling us to stay now, women in this, how many would be like that to your husband? Or she's got that kind of faith, right? And it, I think it comes from the Korean, you know, uh, Korean side there. But anyways, it's that, I, I heard that and I was like, nah, you know, I'm the father, I'm the husband. I, I don't, you know, with her, you got to know Jackie. She's like, I, if, if something happens to my babies, it's on me, you know. That kind of thing. So I said, let me pray about it. Plus, my supervisor, OMF supervisor, said we got to go. So the, our mission agency is asking us to leave. There's nothing of us to do. But I said, maybe I'll pray about it. But let me call this house church pastor friend to see what she says. She was like a woman pastor who, who baptized 13 young people in our bathtub. So I called her up. I said, um, Pastor Sue, I mean, Evangelist Sue, I said, um, we're thinking about going back to America during this time. What do you think? First time she said, oh, sure, go. You know, go, you know, um, just, that's fine. But she wasn't really telling what she really was thinking. Because the second time I asked her, and that was after Jackie told me a challenge. I said, we're thinking of staying now. What do you think? You would be willing to stay? She said, okay. It was actually years later, I heard from the other pastor to say, we were watching you. If you went back and you came back later, Would never work with you again. We stayed. Our kids survived. The church now trusted us. But even if they didn't, the most important thing was God was testing my faith. And it was if I trusted, if my children died, would I still? Follow him. That was the that was the test. And that's the test that each of us need to go through. Are we going to trust God even if it means something will happen to our kids? And because we it wasn't even a test for Jackie, that test, she had other tests. That this is the easy stuff for her. This test was for me. And because we passed. I really believe there was a spiritual blessing that took place for my ministry after that. There is. There, you, you can't, I can't even describe it. You can just sense the ministry just opened up. God saw someone who trusted him and then blessed them. And that's the life of someone who boldly goes. Next slide. Well, um, I want to now turn into John chapter 12. This is where I feel like the essence of the gospel comes from This these few verses. It really is John chapter 12, and it is this seed that dies that gives the core strength of what we believe in. So if you're trying to ask, where does this power come from? I'm going to just read to you. What Jesus replied, verses 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life and their kid's life will lose it. Anyone while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And I'm going to bring out three truths from this passage that just resonate with what I'm trying to say today and what young people are missing in our churches. They're missing this truth of the gospel we've been giving them candy cane gospel and they're looking at our lives I believe that North America we're going to lose our next generation very soon because they don't have the essence which is this number one glorification glorification For Christ is the path of the cross. It's not the glory comes after the giving up of a life. If you notice right before this chapter, if you look at the verses, you'll see that Jesus has come into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone is praising him. Hosanna, hundreds of people are praising him because he just healed Lazarus from the death and news was spreading and even the Pharisees were saying, man, we've got to watch out because the whole world is following Jesus. So Jesus now has, has pretty much, of course, he has the angels supporting him. But now he has all the Jewish people who are supporting him. Except for the Pharisees and who are very jealous about him. This is a time when he can glorify himself and become the king of Israel. But the glorification that he's talking about in this passage is going To be crucified on the cross. To die for the sake of you and me. If you don't get the the essence of that. That is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not just. The good news of the gospel is not just saying you're going to heaven. The good news of the gospel is that someone died for you to go to heaven. And therefore as you share that good news to others. You are also following Christ in the same spirit of martyrdom. Only death produces life. If you think of I'm going to serve God with all setting my kids to the best schools and getting them to the best universities and getting them to the best jobs, you're going the opposite direction. Not that God can't use that, but the mindset is different. Death produces life. We came back from the mission field. We were in um, Bedford, Massachusetts. If you know Massachusetts, um, Bedford is right next to Lexington. Lexington is like, why are all the Chinese and Indians and Koreans in Lexington? Is because, you know, top five school districts, just like this district. As you know, if, you're, if the Chinese, Koreans, and Indians are there, you know what that means. So there's, it's most likely you're living in the townhouse that you have right now for one sole reason right it's for your kids education that's what you're thinking right same when we arrived why did we move to bedford well bedford was next to lexington because lexington was the top school district our churches is in lexington so all the chinese you know they all want to go there but if you don't have money, you go to the, the the town right next to, which is you know, those are million dollar houses. These are like you know, eight hundred thousand dollar houses, kind of thing. So you come to the the second tier, which you can afford. Well, my sister in law was in Bedford, so we just came for Bedford, and somehow a church member gave their home to us to, for free as missionaries. So we were there for for a couple years. Actually, for for we rented for a year, and then for another couple years. So about three years there. And then we found out we can't go back to China. And then Gordon Conwell offered me a position at the seminary as a director of the Christy Wilson Center for World Missions. Now, you probably think, what's the big deal, right? But for a missionary, (laughs) it's like the pinnacle of success. It's like... I've been a missionary all my life. Christy Wilson was my mission professor, is respected around the world. He was a missionary in Afghanistan. And now I get to be the mission professor that trains all the future missionaries in the seminary. Of the seminary I graduated, you can't get a better position in the mission world than that. But it's about 30, 40 minutes north in a real nice town called South Hamilton. We're in Bedford. Now, my wife, Korean American from Queens, New York, happened to be volunteering at a ministry with drug addicts in Lowell, Massachusetts. How many here are from Massachusetts or have been in Massachusetts? Can I see? Okay, you probably don't know. If you know Lowell, Massachusetts, that's where we send, well, that's where we do ministry there But that's where the Cambodians live, that's where the Hispanics live, that's like inner city uh, Boston. I mean, that's like dangerous, that's where gangs are, that's where, and um, so I remember, you know, just like every Asian parent, you know, going through the list of 300 districts in Massachusetts, I found... Lexington at the top 10. I found Bedford top 30. So I'm scrolling down, looking for Lowell. Scrolling down, keeping next, 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 next. I realize I can't find Lowell. So I went to the end. Bottom 10. Lowell, Massachusetts. Okay. Here's the trust factor now. My son Jeremy, who was two, was going into ninth grade. High school. Bedford, a great high school. Mika was going to eighth grade. Uh, sorry, Jeremy's going to ninth, ninth grade, Mika's going to eighth grade, and Ben was going to fifth grade. Now, when they're in fifth grade, it's okay, you know of you you know it doesn't really matter. But my oldest son is about to enter high school, right? So, do you choose Bedford? South Hamilton? Or Lowell. What would you choose? I'm like, obviously South Hamilton or Bedford, if, if not Lexington. Let's just stay there. It's, our kids love it. It's a great place. We're going to be here for the next season of our life. Unfortunately, I'm married to a Korean-American, Queens, in New York who volunteers at this place. And she said, maybe God's calling us to move to Lowell, not just minister in Lowell. We had a a Lowell mission church there where we send missionaries there, but to actually live in Lowell and then send our kids to Lowell High. Now, you have to understand, inner city kids, and I I know you don't understand this because I saw the difference between Bedford and Lowell. Lowell kids, the music they listen to the language they use, every other word is the F word. They do use F words once in a while in, in Bedford, but every other word is the F word. And they listen to songs you've never heard of. It's got to do with popping, I mean, shooting and killing cops. I mean, stuff like you just, it's a different world altogether. And they think suburban kids are just marshmallows. Okay. So, you have to imagine our kids are missionary kids from, from, from China coming into Bedford. They didn't even know who Justin Bieber was, let alone, you know, uh, Lowell. And then now coming into, you know, inner city that they lo- they looks at Bedford kids as, like, you know, we had to make that choice. What would you do? We lived in Lowell, got an apartment there and um i remember sharing this once in a church in Maryland, a Chinese church down the road you probably know it already and after i shared that this was while well, we just made that decision a lady came up to me and said um, dave i know that you think you're doing something godly but but that's just not fair to your kids in fact an elder of our church said the same thing i know that you suffer for god in china but you don't have to do this here you know you you don't have to send your kids to to, to Lowell, hi. Well, I'll tell you this. When you've been on the mission field, and I think those who lived overseas, sometimes you really get bored of suburban life. I mean, I know it's, it's fun for some of you, but after a while, mowing lawn and snow, shoveling snow becomes like, is that all we do? And watch TV and Netflix? And the, it's, it's something about if you're really seen out there, you want to be in a war zone, so for the sake of the gospel, it doesn't matter how bad it is, but because we had trusted in God in Beijing to support, we knew that we could just trust in God if we went to Lowell. But I tell you what, moving to Beijing in China was far easier than moving to Lowell. Far easier. Our kids really thrived there as well. In fact, probably more than anything. Um, Jeremy, he um, he started to run. You know, he he was a uh, long distance runner. He ran five miles a day, very consistent. He would read his Bible in the morning, and he would just run five miles a day. And join the. It became the, the state championship team all four years. So he was on the state championship team. So he was, but because he was running five miles a day, one day uh, the counselor said, "You you got a choice between taking um, gym class or JROTC." And we were like, my, you know, my wife, she, you know, Jackie said, just do ROTC, get some leadership training. We, you know, we're not military family, just try it out, you know, because he's already running five miles a day, so why do gym? So so he just st- started to, sophomore year, joined JROTC, and then one day, his flight commander came and asked us to come to the school. He said, Dave, you know, we saw your son, he's the first person that we can recommend to the U.S. Military Academy in 10 years. Because Lowell, is, even though it's 4,000 kids in the high school, it's all inner-city kids, and they're all com- uh, kids that don't do well, let's say, academically. But here, here is Jeremy that is able to be considered for the U.S. Uh, for the, actually the Air Force Academy, was he, because they were wanting him to go to the Air Force. Well, to make a long story short, um, uh, he started to apply for uh, the, the, uh, West Point because the congresswoman, uh, Nikki Songus, gave him a, a, a recommendation. you got to get a con- congressional recommendation. And this is the first time from Lowell, and actually we found out later it was 35 years. First time in 35 years at like a school of 4,000. And so, but then my daughter, who was a sophomore at the time, says, Dad... I know you talk and preach about missions. Why are we still here in the U.S.? We should be back in Asia. Ding, ding, ding. I said, okay, let's move our family. I was going to wait till they graduate from high school. That was a sign from the Lord that our kids are ready for the mission field again. And so we packed our bags and four months' time moved to Taiwan. Jeremy then gave up his ambitions to go to West Point, as a senior, arrived into Taiwan. My daughter, as a junior, into Taiwan. And I wouldn't recommend that in general, but I just, the Lord just led us at the time to make that kind of decision. It seemed like not the right decision for most families, and I probably wouldn't recommend it, but, but somehow for us it worked. And somehow... He's still got into West Point. So the, I, the, the point is, and I don't want to brag or anything like that, but I'm just trying to say that we make decisions first where God is calling us, and we trust him that he will take care of our kids. And even if our kids suffer or don't get in or whatever, we just trust that he has a better plan in store. Next slide. The one after that, please. Wait, wait, go back. I do want to say this. Following Christ, the key ingredient there is a spirit of martyrdom. And at the end, if you forget anything, it has to be the faith of willingness to die for something that you believe in. So I'm going to share with you about Tracy Pitkin. This was a young man who came to Christ in Connecticut from wealthy connections and his father grandfather father's side William Pickin was the attorney general and the governor of Connecticut on his mother's side was the founder of Yale College his sister was married to the son of the president of Harvard you couldn't get a better pedigree than Tracy he caught a vision for the gospel to go to where there's no gospel. A student volunteer movement in the 1886 started at Mount Hermon. hundred people gave their lives to missions. Three years later, Horace Tracy Pitkin gave his life to China. Next slide, you'll see this. These are house church leaders from China who came to New York City in 2010 to get trained by Tim Keller. I brought them from China. Two of them are now serving prison sentences or have served. But what they were most impressed was when we went to visit Yale College. Of course, we saw the library. We saw so many things. Next slide, you will see this. These house church ladies, Tian, Pastor Tianming Ming served nine years, nine and a half years of house arrest after our visit. Pastor Wang Yi is now serving a nine-year sentence in prison. Three years ago, he got two years ago he got arrested. And he's serving a nine-year prison sentence. Both those guys are my friends. When we were coming through Yale, this is what caught their eye: a plaque in Yale that no one remembers yet. Left said this in memory of Horace Tracy Pitkin, born in 1869 at Philadelphia, graduated at Exeter Academy at Yale College in 1892. Three years of missionary service in China, killed at his post by the boxers in July 1900. And at the bottom it says, Whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's. The same shall save it. These Chinese pastors remember when these young people came, gave their lives, and died to bring the gospel to China. And now they, as pastors, are going to send their young people to die for the sake of of others. Next slide you'll see there's this Mission China movement that I was was involved with and they now have a vision to send 20,000 missionaries by the year 2030. This is the persecuted church in China with this vision. And it's the top pastors, eight of the top pastors coming together saying we as the church in China are going to send our young people to back to Jerusalem, to the Middle East. Why the Middle East? Because that's the hardest areas. And we know that God has reserved the harshest areas for the Chinese church because so much, so many 20,000 lives came and laid down and died for China. We are now going to lay down our lives for the Middle East. You see that martyrdom spirit? Imagine your young people catching that then they will say, your gospel that you believe, it's worth it. I can see it. It's not just singing and great. I mean, it's great to have all this. There's something, core essence of gospel that they see, their pastors and their, their, their people living that life, willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And so as a result, China now is Korea, China, and now Asia is in this Arise movement. So pray for us. You'll see this next slide here. It's pretty much the Arise Asia movement. I'm now going to be traveling from country to country. You know, i have being invited now into Nepal. They want to do it. Into Bangladesh. Into the Philippines. Into Hong Kong. Into um, Sri Lanka. Into India. They, they now want to begin to send out their young people now. Final slide, I'm going to show you um, what is the secret behind this core strength. If you get one message today, is the spirit of martyrdom willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And then now you'll see my final, final slide is the picture of our family, who you can pray for. They're alive they didn't die. But even if they died, it will be okay because we'd be in heaven. They're okay. My son, oldest Jeremy, is 24. He's now a lieutenant. He went through West Point and then also graduated from ranger school in Fort Benning. And now he's deployed in Seoul and he's coming here to the uh, Arlington Cemetery in March. So maybe he might come to this church. So watch over him. He's, he's coming, 24. But if God calls them into the military, that's fine. That, that could be a mission field in itself. My daughter, Mika, remember that 11-month-old girl that I was worried about? She's 23. Uh, she started a job in Manhattan at, at this really um, uh, marketing firm. Her, her client is, uh, one of her clients is actually Colgate. You know the, the, uh, Anyway, so she's doing well um, in, in the marketing. Um, my third son, Benjamin, who was born in Beijing... He's now 18, a sophomore in USC. And um, he went to the Rise Conference. This, you know, I talk, told you about two months ago. He and Alex both went, and he came after the Rise Conference. and said, Dad, I'm thinking about two countries. He, he, he gave his life to missions. He wants to do medical missions. He says, Dad, it's a choice between North Korea and Pakistan. And I'm like, why, why those two countries? North Korea and Pakistan? It's because... I want to find the place where I can die, the harshest place. I said, well, maybe North Korea, because I I did pray for him to go to North Korea when he was a baby. But then he said, well, I went to this seminar, and the North Korean guy said, if I I become a doctor in North Korea, it'll be an easy life. I won't die there. So maybe I should go to Pakistan. (laughs) I'm like, no, go to North Korea, you know. (laughs) And then Alex, uh, you can pray for him. He, We adopted him as an eight-year-old boy from China. And so now he's 15 years old as a freshman um, in Bang- uh, Bangkok. He's got some special needs. Uh, so it's been a challenge for him and, and us. But he's a, a great kid. Um, and so we have um, a military man, a marketing gal, a missionary doctor potentially, and possibly someone who... Might be a mechanic, but who knows? We'll just, we just we trust God for our kids, but whatever God does, we just know that we follow God first, willing to die for the sake of the gospel, and God will bless. Let us pray. Father, I pray through this message this morning that you will challenge each of us. Where are areas, that, especially for our kids, that you would speak to our lives? Can we give up our life for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.